Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, The tongue has no bones, but is strong enough to break a heart. So be careful with your words. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1,003rd broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it's time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting. So here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, our chat board, and so forth. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's on the table for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do I provoke in a good way? And our theme text is found in Acts chapter 15, verse 39. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him. So it's about provoking. The world is full of provoking, and it is not a good thing. First, there's the provoking that takes place among children by way of demeaning and bullying those who seem weaker or different. Then there's a provoking on an adult social level as those on various sides of issues regarding personal freedoms and beliefs poke and prod one another. And then let's not forget the provoking on a political level as those on opposite sides of the aisle name call and cast aspersions at one another. So basically, Jonathan, my conclusion is provoking stinks. (laughs) Just telling you, okay? Now that we've proclaimed that provoking is a problem, there is a verse in the Bible that tells us to provoke one another in a good way. So, Rick, how does that work? (laughs) Yeah, well, we need to know that. We need to know, what are we supposed to say or do, and how are we supposed to do it? Can there be a positive place and purpose for provoking? And that's really what we want to get to today, provoking in a good way way. How do we do that? And folks, it is always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day, like provoking, to give you something to really think about. And don't don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we even may include your comments on the air. All right, so the chat room is alive and well and open at ChristianQuestions.com. We'd like to get your thoughts on provoking. How do you provoke in a good way? And to get started, Jonathan, let's just go to the dictionary. I mean, basic dictionary. What does it mean to provoke? We're going to go Merriam-Webster online dictionary. Wow, Rick, there are so many definitions. (laughs) 
But let's begin. First is to arouse to a feeling of action, to incite to anger, to call forth a feeling and action, evoke, provoke laughter, to stir up purposefully, provoke a fight, to provide the needed stimulus for will provide a lot of discussion. So you can go from provoking a fight to provoking laughter. So provoking is to push others to some kind of action. That's what provoking is. And generally speaking, it is not a happy or positive thing because the way we generally tend to provoke is, uh, tends to bring out the worst in us and in those that we do provoke. So let's get started with a soundbite um, from Murshida Syed, and I think this is from Britain, uh, a, a talk show, television, t- television talk show in Britain, how to react when you are provoked. And she's going to be starting with uh, talking about child, childlike provoking. You know, we, we start with a child provoking the mother or the mm-hmm. father, for example. It is because the child feels lonely, insecure, probably hungry, throwing a tantrum, they want attention, right? Mm-hmm. And that is what adults also do. Yeah. They want attention to themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a way of expressing their own insecurities and unhappiness or some anger issue from the past. Mm-hmm. And it's normally not related to the person that they are provoking. <laughs> it is just a reaction. It is just something that... Hey, this person is there. I am going to attack because it is the easiest thing to do at this moment because I am angry, I am frustrated. And have you heard that phrase, hurt people will hurt other people? You know, hurt people will hurt other people, right? So, and that's interesting. You know, she said a lot of times provoking is not meant toward that person, but it's just to get something out of you and they happen to be in your line of fire. So that's one of the first lessons about provoking is it really has a lot to do with emotions and how you feel about something. And again, not necessarily a good thing. And Rick, there's a key question we'll be asking throughout the podcast. And that question is, what should we provoke and why? To whom should we direct it? And how should we do it? Okay, so the big thing we're going to go over again and again. What should we be provoking? Why should we be doing it? To whom should we be doing it? And how should it be done? If we can get those pieces in order, our provoking can be a whole different ballgame. So let's do a brief observation on provoking scripturally that could have gone very badly, but actually turned into very positive provoking. All right, um... I'm going to take a quick look at Acts chapter 15, uh, and a very, very quick look, I, I might add. This is a whole podcast by itself. But this is the conference in Jerusalem where the, the, the brotherhood came together over the issues of Jewish understandings, interpretations of Christians, and Gentile understanding interpretations of, Christ, of what Christianity is, and they had some issues. So the first point before we begin reading is oftentimes we provoke by proclaiming our stance is absolute truth. We stand up and we draw that line in the sand and say, cross it, I dare you. And, and you know, <laughs> we do that a lot, okay? And that's nothing new. Acts chapter 15, uh, let's start with verse 1. Some men came down from Judah and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They drew a line in the sand. They said, unless... You go through the Jewish rite of circumcision, you have nothing to do with being saved. Nothing. That's a big line in the sand, considering saving comes through Jesus. 
That's for sure. <laughs> okay, but they believed that, and the reason they believed that they had they had a legitimacy to that belief because circumcision was a right given way back to Abraham, and they had carried it through with them, and they could not understand how something that had been with them for I don't know three thousand years suddenly is just going to go away. So there's a legitimacy to their position. Now, this immovable stance that the Jewish Christians have. When, when somebody draws a line in the sand, what do we typically do? We draw a line in the sand as well. Like, oh yeah? You think that's your line? Look at my line. So the immovable stance is often meant with a similarly immovable and opposing stance. And that's exactly what happens here in Acts 15, verse 2. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas. Now these are two really, really important uh, evangelists. And they're out amongst the Gentiles and they just would not give an inch on that statement. So the scripture says that they're, they're, they're beginning this conversation and it's like the Jewish Christians stand up and they, and they kind of like, they, 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 they strike the match. And then Paul and Barnabas take that match and they throw it into the oil. Like, oh yeah? Okay, let's have this out. And, and, you know, you, and I'm dra- dramatizing it, obviously. But the point is, this is what happens when we get into a provoking situation. Somebody says something and we come right back and say, oh yeah? Well, check this out. You know, you think, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm right, you're wrong. And that, and tempers flare, uh, our, our, our focus gets narrow, and we stop listening and we start jabbering. And, and that's, a, that's an unfortunate thing. Well, let's see what happened in Acts chapter 15, because this is a biblical uh, event that's recorded for our learning. Um, so we read verses 1 and 2, you know, or parts of, part of 2 anyway. You know, Paul and Barnabas had this great dissension. So here's what happened. We usually leave it here and we fight. You know, roll up your sleeves and we duke it out, okay? Figuratively, folks, figuratively. <laughs> this never solves anything. But the interesting thing is, that's not what happened in this case. Let's listen to the rest of verse 2. Jonathan, you there? Okay. Um, I lost Jonathan there. I lost Jonathan there for a moment. Um, you have me back? Are we? Yes, you're back. You're back now. So let's let's do that uh, that uh, second part of verse two. All right. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some other of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So what happens is they determined that this is a problem. Let's really talk it out. So instead of making each other bloody figuratively, they said, look, we need to really, really hash this thing out. And the intention of hashing this thing out was we got to figure this out together. That's a provoking that a lot of times we just don't go down that road because we are, get so tied up in our own pr- position that we, we want to pummel the other guy. That's not what happened. Well, well Rick, think about it. The, the brethren that came from Ju- Judah, Judah down there are saying, oh, let's go back to our home base and we'll talk about this. Yeah. Think about their perspective. And then Paul and Barnabas saying, okay, here we go. We're going to be thrown into a bigger opposition than we are right now. But we've got, we've got facts. We've got proof. We've got God's witness working in our lives. So it's okay. 
even though this doesn't look easy, we've got to do this. Right. It comes down to truth. It comes down to truth. And so they do. They go right into the they go right into the into the lion's den because they're going to Jerusalem where the Jewish Christians have their greatest stronghold. So they're going to do that. All sides were allowed to engage in the provocative, uh, provocative conflict. So they go and they start to talk and they and they and everybody's going to be part of it. Acts chapter 15. Let's go now to uh, verse six and part of verse seven. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter after there had been much debate. Okay, so everybody comes together, and it doesn't say to fight. It says to look into this matter. Once everyone is heard, and presumably once all are exercised by listening, apostleship is going to take over here. But see, Jonathan, here's the key with this whole situation. Once everyone is heard and presumably exercised by listening. Exercised by listening. This is an important factor. This is what happened here in Acts chapter 15. Both sides were exercised by listening. They weren't, when the others were talking, thinking of what they're going to say next. They stopped thinking about their own perspective and listened to the other side. After they go back and forth on the issue, in a very strong, passionate way, Here's what happens. Apostleship speaks up in, by the voice of Peter. And we're again, we're in Acts 15, still in verse 7. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. So he goes back to the very basic of basic principles. If the Gentiles have God's Spirit... That means they are, quote, saved. That means they are part of things. You can't deny that because that's the fact. This is the Apostle Peter. He is the, the head of the Jewishness, if you will, in Christianity, and this is what he says. So his apostleship, his bring, and he says, it was by me that the Gentiles heard the gospel. And think of his experience with Cornelius right. and his household. That God did not tell him, make sure they're all circumcised before they become right. baptized. So he had that hands-on experience say, no, wait a minute. That's not how it works here. Right, and he needed that vision. Remember the vision of the unclean things? And he needed to see it three times to make it yes. sink in. That's how big this was. So that apostleship of Peter speaking up is followed up with more apostleship and lots of evidence, like you were saying earlier, Acts 15, verse 12. All the people kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So the personal experience of Barnabas and Paul played a huge role in this provoking back and forth. Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, key evangelists here that, that actually turned the tide in this conversation. So there's progress. Opposing sides found common ground, and they were able to actually move forward. So we skip down to uh, verses 22 and 23 because they had come to an agreement. They had come to a compromise. 22 and 23 of Acts 15. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, and they sent this letter by them. And that letter was proclaiming what they had concluded and what they had compromised. But here's the thing. You know, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. So, I mean, picture this. 
They're at odds at the beginning, drawing lines in the sand. At the end, they're all saying, okay, we can all do this together because we've been willing to listen to the other side. So this is a provoking that was really amazing. And upon arriving, that letter that was read to, 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 the, to the ecclesias, to the, to the churches in the areas, that it was read and accepted with rejoicing. So provoking positively actually worked. And this is an incredible example of taking that heated, passionate discussion and making it into something because they were all exercised by listening. What's the provoking principle here, Jonathan, that's so important for us? Well, listening provokes communication, which provokes understanding, which provokes unified action. So one of the absolute keys for positive provoking is listening, because listening opens the door to communicate. Communicate opens the door for understanding, and that can provoke and get us into unified action. See, the key is they heard the facts. They heard the facts of the matter. And Jonathan, you know, next week, we're going to be doing a really difficult podcast. The topic is for next week is, is my gender your business? And we're going to be talking about transgenderism scripturally and socially and what does it mean for Christians and all of that. Difficult, difficult, difficult subject. And this principle of listening and communication and understanding and unified action. That's something we have to be really, really focused on for a, a subject like that. So folks, we really would like you to join us next week for that. So to wrap this segment up, the passion and effort of the early church toward positive provoking was amazing. We really should practice what they preached. Listen, communicate, and understand, and provoking are good. Does this mean we're done? <laughs> yeah, sure. We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. While listening, communicating, and understanding can change those who are adversarial to one another in uh into those who would be willing to work together, that's only one example. What happens, when, what happens when provoking is between two individuals who are deeply committed to their points of view and do not see ample evidence to change? I mean, Jonathan, it would be really great to be able to leave the example there and say, okay, everybody, that's the way it should always work. You know, work it out, unify, make a compromise, and move forward. But let's be real. That's not the way it always works. And just a, a kind of a, a humorous story on the power of our words toward others. This is from The Power of Encouragement, Christianity 9 to 5. We got this from a YouTube video. And again, an interesting little story about the power of our words toward others. Uh, let's try that right now. Sounds like a bad joke. A man walks into a diner and, and asks the waitress behind the counter for, uh, for the payphone. This is in the days before cell phones. And she points him over to the corner. He goes over there, puts a quarter in, dials a number, and uh, he says, uh, Hello, Mr. Jones. Uh, this is John Smith, and uh, I'd like to know if you have a place in your organization for a smart, hardworking sales manager to, uh, to oversee your sales staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Uh, you already have a smart, 
hardworking sales manager, and uh, you like him very much. Okay, well, thank you for your time, sir. Um, have a good day. Hangs up, gets a big smile on his face, starts whistling and walking toward the door, which really puzzles the waitress. So with a touch of attitude, she says, what, what are you so happy about? You just got rejected. And he turns, he says to her, actually, I didn't. You see, I am that bright, hardworking sales manager at that company. I just wanted to make sure that my boss, Mr. Jones, thought so too. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I love it. But you know, the, the sad thing is, you know, it, it's like he's got to he's got to find out, not because his boss told him. Again, the power of words, spoken and unspoken, has everything to do with provoking. And if we want to learn to provoke positively, we have to utilize the power of positively spoken words. And we saw that in the last example. Okay. Again, again, Rick, we want to ask uh, that question. What should we provoke and why? To whom shall we direct it? And how should we do it? All right. What is it that we should provoke and why? Now, this next provoking example is going to turn out very differently than the previous one. Because the previous one sounds like, and they all lived happily ever after. This one doesn't sound like that at all, okay? And the interesting thing about this, Jonathan, is this next example takes place shortly, probably days after the previous example, with two of the key individuals who were part of the previous example that were pivotal in that meeting that we just described. So let's go same chapter of Acts, a few more verses now. Now, Acts 15, let's go to verses uh, actually, 36 to 40, we're going to break it up into two pieces. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Okay. So Paul and Barnabas are set to go back to work. They've taken this break to iron out this major, major, major issue of Christian concern, and they are now ready to go back to work. Uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul doesn't. John Mark was with them previously, didn't make it through the trip, and the scripture says he deserted them in Pamphylia. So this would have been a significant dissension. Because the rigors of a missionary journey cannot be taken lightly. You know, Jonathan, for us, you want to travel somewhere, you get in your car, you throw your suitcase in, you bring some snacks with you, and you drive four hours, and you go, you know, 200, 250 miles. For them, 250 miles was what? A week's worth or two weeks worth of walking? That's right. And, you know, it's uncomfortable, and there's not a lot, and you've and just... And there's dangers at every corner. <laughs> right, right. So, apparently, it was too much for John Mark the last time around, and he just stopped, okay? So, you've got this, this, this issue here. Paul just believed that John Mark, who was young, couldn't do it. Barnabas believed he could. Now, Barnabas, it was an interesting relationship he had with John Mark, right? Yeah, he was related. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's his uncle, okay, or his cousin, or his, I think he's his uncle. And he believed in him. He believed that he could. Now, you know, maybe Barnabas knew John Mark better than Paul and said, okay, you know, I know he stumbled, but like, I know this kid, he's, he's strong, he's good, he can do it. Paul's saying, look, can't take the chance. And Barnabas is saying, but look, I know this kid, he can do it. And Paul's saying, look, we can't afford that 
It's too difficult. So, I mean, what do you do? How do you find common ground? Let's see what they did. Um, now, remember, they had just helped a whole group come to a dramatic compromise just days ago. What do they do? Verse 39 and 40. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So they separated. So the provoking didn't work out to get them to compromise, did it? No, they didn't come together. They, they ran away from each other. Yes, they went apart. And so you say, well, wait a minute. These were the two guys who were really instrumental in bringing the entire group together in that massive, massive discussion that was so important. And here they're talking about one person and they can't figure it out? I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like, what? And it looks like, you know, you read the scripture, it's like, okay, you know, Barnabas takes John Mark and sails, you know, okay, that's it, we're going to Cyprus. And Paul says, oh yeah, well, I'm going to take Silas and we're going to go the other direction. You know, and it sounds like, by just looking at it, like they walk away in a huff. Well, the question is, did they? And the other question is, is separating some kind of common ground because there's a lot of provoking going on. Because that word, you know, it says a sharp disagreement. What does that word mean, sharp disagreement? Well, Rick, it means to incite to good or dispute in anger. All right. It's got two very separate kinds of meanings. Incite to good. I don't think you got the, uh, the, the incite to good here. <laughs> no, I don't either. <laughs> we're gonna, so we're looking more about the dispute. And uh, we're going to look at the incite to good at the end of this segment. Um, go ahead. And Rick, I was thinking that in this case, the work for the gospel still went on and both served the Lord and accomplished much, though it was a, de a sad departure from each other, I think. But the Lord's work went on. They continued on. They didn't stop the work because of the dispute. And no, as a matter of fact, they went out and did two separate parts of the work. And Silas got pulled into the work as a result. So you're right. You're right about that. And, you know, my, my personal opinion on this, on this dissension and, and what looks like walking away in a huff is this. My opinion is this provoking was proper and appropriate as these two mighty men of faith were both clear in their opinions and what they perceived as needed. The key was that while they separated they, and this is to me, Jonathan, this is the big, big thing. While they did separate, they did not attach importance to this particular decision beyond its true scope. Okay? It didn't translate into a divisive action that would last their lifetimes. It didn't translate into disunity. It didn't translate into breaking things apart. It didn't translate into, I don't like you anymore, and I don't care if you like me anymore. Because usually that's what happens with provoking. And so, to me, this separating was as a result of two very clearly focused individuals who saw an issue differently and agreed to do things differently. And the, to me, one of the greatest parts of this particular event is Paul's response to John Mark later in life. And not once, but he responds twice to John Mark later in life. And let's go to the first of those responses in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, 
and also Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. So think about this. He is writing to the Colossians, to the, to the Christians at Colossae, and he says, you know, uh, I'm sending you greetings from my fellow prisoner Aristarchus, and I'm also sending you greetings from Barnabas's cousin Mark. Now, that means he was an absolute close communication with Mark to mention him by name to this church. Absolutely. And then he lumps Mark in with these specific individuals and saying, by the way, these are the ones, these are the only Jewish Christians that, that are with me in, in this particular work, and they have proved to be an encouragement. So John Mark wasn't an outcast in the eyes of the Apostle Paul. He just wasn't up for that particular trip in the eyes of the Apostle Paul. But Paul found goodness in him and was not afraid to speak of it and to, and to uh, show him in a very, very, very positive light. And to me, this shows that their dissension did not get bigger than its true scope. See, sometimes we screw things up, Jonathan, and we, and we confuse the issue and we make the little thing the big thing and the big thing becomes the little thing. And they didn't do that. And see, to me, that shows that you can disagree and even go separate ways and do separate things, but not be disagreeable to one another. I just think that's, that's incredibly powerful. That was. That really was. One more, one more uh, mention of um, Mark by Paul in Second Timothy. Now, this is near the end of his life, Second Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for this service. So think about this. The apostle is near the end of his days. And in 2 Timothy, the apostle tells Timothy that, you know, I'm kind of wrapping things up with my life, and I know that. And he says in 2 Timothy, look, I fought the good fight. You know, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of glory and all that. So he's telling Timothy, my time is short. Who does he ask for? Mark. Isn't that amazing? That is. It shows that the dissension wasn't over the person. It was over the person's perceived ability in one specific area. And the brothers did not allow that perception of his ability to affect the rest of their relationship, the rest of the gospel, and each other. I mean, to me, that speaks volumes as to what we should be doing to learn to positively provoke. So to me, this dissension ends up showing a positiveness that you, know, you might not have seen originally. So what's the provoking principle here? Serious disagreements are acceptable as long as we are thoroughly convicted to keep the issue the issue and not centralize and escalate it beyond its true scope. Keep the issue the issue. You know, a, 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 a very successful business person that I, I've listened to many times has said, make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. And that is so powerful and profound. That's what they did. They kept the main thing the main thing. And, and newsflash, John Mark's inability at that particular point was not the main thing. It was a side issue that they could not come to an agreement on. So they went about their work anyway. And John Mark had intrinsic value and was a blessing to the Apostle Paul. Uh, what a great, great provoking story.
So let's go to another soundbite. This is from Andrew Sobel. Uh, three powerful questions that can transform your conversations. We're actually only going to deal with two of those questions in this particular uh, a podcast. But let's go to the first of those questions about transforming your conversations. Have you ever gotten into a heated circular argument with your spouse or a friend and wished you could somehow get out of it? Or have you started to say something in a meeting at work, but well, flubbed it? A powerful question in these circumstances is, do you mind if I start over? Or can we start over? Use this question rarely, but do it when you need a parachute. It'll give you a second chance. That's a great question. Do you mind if we start over? Or can I please start over? Because what you're saying is, got off on the wrong foot. Let me start again. Let me try and communicate rather than, than, than harass. You know, let me try and talk to you rather than draw a line in the sand. What a great way to, to go about things. That was. Uh, he had three questions. Well, I have one question for our listeners. Do you have CQ Rewind? <laughs> if not, go to christianquestions.com and hit the newsletter sign-up tab and register for the CQ outline full of graphics, illustrations. It's a wonderful topical Bible study on each podcast. Okay, CQ Rewind, the full edition available at christianquestions.com or through your CQ app. All right, so look, the only other use of this particular word for provoke, you know, this dissension that the that uh, Paul and Barnabas had, is a positive one, and that's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. What is it? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now that sounds so good, so positive, so peaceful, so, so, so growth-oriented. Let's consider one another to provoke into good works. What does the word consider mean? Because that's key. Well, Rick, it means to observe fully. So let's understand each other so that we can use the positive definition let's, so that we can incite our brothers and sisters to good. Let's observe them fully so we can incite them to good. Not let's pick on something we don't like or pick on something they need to improve, but let's observe them fully. That's how to do it. Now, see... The, the, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, we believe. You know, he doesn't say that he wrote it, but it, it, we believe that he did. And he wrote it because he was trying to get the Hebrew Christians to understand the centrality of Jesus to the whole plan of God. And he provokes them through the entire book. As a matter of fact, CQ Rewind, the full edition in the bonus material, we, we go through the first three chapters of Hebrews to show how he provokes them in a really good, positive, powerful, inspiring way to get the point. So... In the 10th chapter, Paul is saying, look, the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrifices you used to make, don't take away sin, but Jesus does. So let's unify and encourage uh, for you, the Hebrew Christian now is in the holy of the tabernacle as the priesthood, or certainly worthy brethren. Okay, so you're, you're worthy brethren, the Gentiles are worthy brethren, we're there, we are honoring God together through following Jesus. What's the provoking principle here in a good way for Hebrews 10.24? Spiritual and scriptural enlightenment can transform our provoking from an antagonizing habit to an embracing response. We have a choice. Are we going to antagonize or do we want to speak words and, 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 and portray thoughts that will begin to embrace others. I mean, it really comes down to what we want to do. Are we going to observe others fully to provoke them to love and good works? If we're going to positively provoke, we really need to be careful. 
We do because provoking easily goes bad. When we provoke, we often exasperate, and that's not good. How do we keep from exasperating God? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. Hebrews, the third chapter, talks about exasperating God and uses an entirely different word for provoking. And it's only used within this chapter, and it's only used in regard to exasperating God. This tells me that we should really pay attention here as the one thing we should never, ever, 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 ever want to do is exasperate and provoke our Creator. I mean, Jonathan, you know, one thing in life you don't want to do, right? That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's the one thing we don't want to do. So what's that question again? That one question that we have to keep asking? Oh, yes. It's what should we provoke and why? To whom should we direct it? And how should we do it? And Rick, here's an answer for that using social media in a good way. Receive daily inspiration and hope. Find us at CQ Bible Podcast on Facebook. CQ Bible Podcast on Instagram, CQ Bible Podcast on Twitter, and CQ Bible Podcast on YouTube. That's all one word, CQ Bible Podcast, social media used for good. Social media used to provoke one another to love and good works. You know, social media is a great tool for provoking everybody to anger. Not here, not with us. We want to use it to provoke to good, and that's our way of doing it, CQ Bible Podcast. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, it's all good. Go go find it. Okay, let's go to the uh, second of the three questions. Again, we're only going to do two of those questions. Remember, the first question was, can I start over? You know, when you start in a conversation because you started provoking, you realize, hey, I want to be positive here. So what's the second question? And this is from Andrew Sobel. Let's go to a second question. It has to do with the why of our chosen work be that a career in business or in parenting. On the surface, many people would say that they work because they need to earn a living or they do what they do because it's a duty or an obligation. But beneath those reasons are usually some more profound motivations. To get at those, ask someone, why do you do what you do? If they say, well, I have to earn a living somehow, then ask it again. So why else? What is it about your work that really grabs you? What parts energize you? What aspects of it are you truly passionate about? And you know, Jonathan, when I think about that in terms of personal life, one of the things I think about is you and I sitting here doing this podcast. We do this. As a matter of fact, this provoking subject was the subject matter of our very, very first radio broadcast 19 and a half years ago. 1,002 uh, podcasts before. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> wow. right. And the whole point of starting with that subject was our ob- object was to provoke to love and good works, to try to inspire others by sharing the gospel in a way that perhaps they never heard it before. Now, when we listen to that first, very first podcast, Jonathan... I don't want to listen to that, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) It was... uh, I I was a deer in the headlights. Yeah, well, but you know what? (laughs) 
petrified. <laughs> but our hearts were in the right place. We yes. wanted to provoke to love and good works. And now all of the years later and all the gray hair later and all of the life experience later, we're still sitting in the same seats wanting to provoke to love and good works. That's why we do this. It's because the gospel is such good news. Why wouldn't you want people to hear it and to think about it and to repeat it? So this segment, though, Jonathan, we're talking about making God irritated and aggravated. This is not a good thing. There's two forms of the same word for provoking in this, uh, for, for this segment. What are, the, what are the two definitions? To embitter alongside, that is figuratively to exasperate, and the second is irritation. All right, so nothing good here. Nothing good no. in this provoking. So how is it that we end up with this kind of provoking? So this is a segment, this is a lesson on how not to provoke God. Following this next advice is going to be a really good idea. So up to this point, <laughs> okay, we're in Hebrews chapter 3. Up to this point in Hebrews, Paul had been carefully laying out the case for Jesus as the centerpiece of God's plan by way of prophecy, Jesus' position in relation to the angels, and examples of other Jewish Christians. He is now, in Hebrews 3, going to compare Jesus' faithfulness with that of Moses. Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 19, we're not going to read all of the verses, but we want to get the point and then how to not exasperate God. Hebrews 3, let's start with 1 to 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. So what he's, he's showing that Moses was incredibly faithful for what he was given to do. But he was saying Jesus was incredibly faithful, and what he was given to do was higher and more powerful and more privileged than Moses. And he says he's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Just realize that. You're a Christian. Understand the comparison and realize that Moses did great, great things, but Jesus did greater things. He's provoking, but it's not negative. Uh, and he's avoiding the negative by continually honoring what the Jewish Christians honored. He's looking at Moses. He's not saying, well, Moses doesn't count anymore. He's saying, look at the greatness of Moses, and now look at the greatness of Jesus. You see the differences? You see the similarities? What a way to communicate. Provoke to love and good works, exactly what he was doing. And now he's going to go through examples of how the Jewish Christians' heritage came from a place of exasperating God. Not a good place to be, but he's reminding them they don't want to go there. And that's, this is really brilliant what he does here. Let's uh, go with uh, verses uh, 5 and 6 in Hebrews 3. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. Okay, so let's pause there. He talks about Moses... And he, and he talks about him in a very specific way. What does he call him? A servant. Okay, he calls him a servant. And he was. Moses was a, an acknowledged servant of God. And he was faithful to that servitude. Then he talks about Christ. And what does he call him? A son. So he says, and he was faithful to that calling as well. And there's a difference in those two things. So he's establishing that Moses did awesome things as far as he was called to do them as a servant. Christ did better things because simply of his position. So now the next part is 
how not to exasperate God. Now that we know this, how do we avoid exasperating God? What's, what are the next few verses? If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm unto the end. Okay, pause right there. If we hold fast our confidence and our hope until the end. Hold fast to what you know. That's how to avoid exasperating God because something happened in the past that those who had that opportunity didn't do it. And that's where he's going to go next um, with, uh, with a quote from the Old Testament. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they also go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All right, so Jonathan, let's pause here for a few minutes. What was it that God was so irritated about in this Old Testament verse? Well, Rick, isn't this when all of uh, the Jews were released from Egypt? Yes. And, and they saw all the miracles, all the plagues, and all the miracles to go across the Red Sea to bring them to the land of promise. And they, they turned against Moses at times. They said, We're, you brought us in the wilderness to starve or, or to, not, to thirst and there's no water. They constantly complained. And, what, and here's the thing. And, and, you know, we look at that. And we say, you know, shame on them. And, you know, in, in a way, you've got to be careful with this because you don't want to be looking down at others, other, other people. But Paul is using this as an example. So we need to examine it. He's saying, just like you said, they had the real life experience of deliverance. And Jonathan, when, 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 when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, there was, I think, what, two or three million of them. That's right plus their cattle and their stuff. That exodus, I don't know that in all of human history there's ever been an exodus like that. And God is pointing back to that and said, I gave them freedom. Did they think I was going to do all of that for them then let them die? And he's saying, you know, I am God. They know me. They understood that I delivered them, and yet they complained. And so you remember what the, what the penalty was for those who left the land, right? They were just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And how many of them got to enter the promised land? Not many, Rick. Now, isn't it just Joshua and Caleb? Yeah. That was it, right? The, all of the older generation— that left the promised land because they continually complained against God ended up dying in the wilderness those 40 years. And it was their children and their children's children that were to enter the promised land. How sad wow. is that? And it's Very. Says, and, and that's the point. The apostle is saying, you know, we're seeing Jesus as the son over, over God's house, whose house we are. He's saying, you got to hold fast to this. And he's saying, don't do what they did when they provoked God and when they irritated God, he had given them incredible deliverance and yet they complained. Now, folks, look, it's really easy to look at them and say, shame on them. But let's, we've looked at them now. Now, let's stop that and let's look at ourselves 
and look at the blessing of our lives and the deliverances in our lives and the, and, and the overrulings in our lives and then the complaining in our lives. And shouldn't we be saying, shame on me, if we are complaining in the face of the deliverance and the grace and the blessing and the overruling of God Almighty on our behalf? I mean, come on, people. We got to be careful, careful, careful. So God was irritated. Paul had just painted an incredibly familiar word picture for them. They all knew this story. And Jonathan, it's really interesting to me because if you read through the Psalms, David refers back to the deliverance from Egypt, I don't know, a hundred times it seems like. I mean, this deliverance is always gone back to in all of Israel's history because it was so magnificent. And it's such a great point to look at and say, look at how powerful God truly is. So he tells them this story, and he says they suffered consequences for their lack of belief. And Paul is saying, don't, don't fall into that. So let's go now to verses uh, 12 and 13 about how not to exasperate God like Israel did in the wilderness way back then. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Okay, so he's saying, take care. Don't let that happen to you. And then he goes to his next point of how not to exasperate God. What does he say? But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So his first not exasperating God point previously was hold fast to your confidence. His second not exasperating God point is encourage one another, not just once, not just twice, day after day. Continually be in each other's ears. What's he saying? Provoke one another to love and good works. Okay? He goes on to another how not to exasperate God point in verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Okay, so again, you notice it says if we hold fast. So the first one was if we hold fast our confidence. The second one, one was encourage one another. The third one was if we hold fast. So you get the idea to avoid exasperating God, hold fast to what he has given you, and then share it with each other. And don't forget to hold fast yourself as you share it with each other because you're holding fast and then you're sharing with each other and then holding fast. I mean, there's this sense of urgency that the apostle is, 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 is pushing them to provoke them, to say, don't let that happen to you. We want to make sure that we live our lives above that example. So that, that's the, the how not to exasperate God in verse 14. And again, verse 15, uh, we're going to go right down 15 through 18, and there's, then there's going to be one more how not to exasperate God point. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell into the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So the apostles summing it up, saying, you are experiencing deliverance just like they. Remember, you can provoke God just like they did. 
because they didn't appreciate God's gift. How do you avoid exasperating God? You appreciate God's gift. You hold fast to it, you encourage one another with it, and you continue to hold fast. And then finally, verse 19, the last verse in uh, in these verses that we're going to be touching on, how not to exasperate God, one last point. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So how not to exasperate God, don't let go of your belief. And again, he doesn't say it in the same words, but it's another hold fast. Don't do what they did. They let go of their belief because they were holding on to their personal insecurity. They were holding on to their personal fears. They were holding on to their personal anxiety, and they let go of God's deliverance. What powerful stuff. This whole segment, Jonathan, is is built around the idea of making sure that we give honor to God. We don't frustrate or exasperate him. Now look, he's got a long fuse with us because he knows we're, we're sinful, okay? And he knows we're broken and he knows all of those things. We all make mistakes, sure. Yeah, and lots of them, right? Whenever we go the, over the, the, the material before the program, you're always pointing out, hey, Rick, you know, <laughs> you forgot a word here. You know, is that spelled that way really? <laughs> you know, Let's not talk about spelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point is we're all fallible and it's okay but it's not okay to let go we have to hold fast so we don't exasperate god we have to encourage each other because you know jonathan it's not a one-man show here it is all of us working together building one another up in this most holy faith that's what this is really truly all about so the um top of my avoidance list for 2018 always avoid exasperating god Good resolution. Now let's go to a more moderate scenario. Is there a level of provoking that is more general and less dramatic than what we have seen so far? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. There is a seemingly more common, less intense level of provoking most often used in a negative sense, but still having the possibility of a positive bent. As with all other kinds of provoking, the default seems to be to tear down. But there is hope for something good if we pay close attention. And again, it comes down to focusing in on what the most important thing is, keeping the most important thing the most important thing. Rick, let's ask that important question again. What should we provoke and why? To whom should we direct it? And how should we do it? So now in the last segment, we learned what should we provoke? Not God. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Bad for your health. (laughs) (laughs) We should direct our positive provoking toward one another by building one another up. That was last segment's you know, sort of answers to that particular question. Let, let's take a moment, Jonathan, and have a little bit of fun here for, for a second. You know, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with the uh, television series, The Big Bang Theory. And uh, Sheldon Cooper, one of the, one of the key characters, is a, is a brilliant genius. 
and he's the most aggravating person you ever want to meet. <laughs> and, you know, he's a provoker, okay? And uh, so we just thought it would be fun to take a, 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 a minute of Sheldon Cooper at his best. They're trying to convince him to go get a driver's license, and he's in line at the motor vehicle department. He's supposed to take the written exam. And now remember, the guy is an absolute, positive, utter, and total genius, and uh, just doesn't seem to fit into the world around him. Let's listen to some provoking gone bad. Look, see, this first question makes no sense. Look, how many car lengths should you leave in front of you when driving? There's no possible way to answer that. A car length is not a standardized unit of measure. Look at the sign. Sheldon, it's C. Just put down C. I don't need your help, Penny. Listen to that little girl, honey. Put C. Next. No, no, wait. No, hang on. Let's look at this next question. Sheldon, why are you arguing with the DMV? How else are they going to learn? Look, question two. When are roadways most slippery? Now, okay, there are three answers, none of which are correct. The correct answer is when covered by a film of liquid sufficient to reduce the coefficient of static friction between the tire and the road to essentially zero, but not so deep as to introduce a new source of friction. Here's your learner's permit. Go away. But I'm not done. I, I have many additional concerns about these questions. Don't make me climb over this counter. Right. Come on. Come on. Uh, there you go. Don't make me climb over this counter. Come on. But, you know, it's just an example. It's a funny example. But the, the truth in the example is we can get onto a roll with others and we can come across like that, not in a funny way, though, in an insulting way. And we got to be really careful because provoking negatively is just a, a naturally disastrous uh, habit. Well, Rick, here's something that's not annoying. Um, CQ Rewind. <laughs> Go to ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register for our CQ Rewind outline. And uh, for this subject, uh, we don't want to provoke God Almighty. We want to be reminded of how to provoke one another to love and good works. Uh, this is an important podcast to have on CQ Rewind. And, and again, you get the, the, a lot of the dialogue, all of the scriptures and uh, graphics and so forth to help the, 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 the thinking and the lesson and the scriptures stick with you. So it's a free service. And folks, here's the great part. If you don't like it for some reason, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button and nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to provoke you, I promise. So give it a try. Seek your rewind, the full edition, free service from ChristianQuestions.com. So Jonathan, we said at the beginning of this segment that there is a less intense level of provoking that... Uh, often turns bad, but can't actually turn good. So what is the, the New Testament Greek word definition for this, kind of the theme for, or, uh, for this? Now, did you ask our question again? I did. Okay, I wasn't sure. Oh, that's right, you did, because we gave an answer from the last segment. Yeah, it shows you how much I pay attention, right? <laughs> no problem. Well, this, the New Testament word means, Rick, to stimulate, especially to anger. Okay, to stimulate. That can be good, especially to, especially to anger. That cannot be good. No. So, and it, you know, the, it comes from a root word that means to quarrel or to wrangle. So, you know, you got a kind of a negative sense here, something you got to be careful with. Now, it's interesting. This particular word is used twice in the New Testament. We're going to go through one of those uh, examples, actually, uh, no, two, both of those examples in this segment. First is Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, 
and do not embitter against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So what is the wording question for our provoking lesson for tonight here? Do not exasperate your children. (laughs) So this is talking to fathers. Yes. So that's you and I. Yep. That's us. That's us. Telling us not to exasperate, not to stimulate to anger our children. So now you got to wonder, okay, what does this really mean? And, and, you know, to, to, let's, if, to try to drill down on this and really get to it, this is not about hurting their feelings or it's not about a tug of war for control because that's what it can sound like. You know, don't exasperate your children. You know, if they want something, give them to them so you don't exasperate them. That's not what it's saying, okay? It's really talking about, it's talking about being so hard on them that they lose heart for acting in a wholesome and pleasing way because it says don't exasperate them so they will not lose heart. Don't push down on them so hard and always be dwelling on their faults so badly that they just like give up. Don't make them angry because you're beating them down. So we can, you know, as fathers, sometimes fathers do that. Yeah, sometimes. And we've got to be really careful of that. So train them, praise them, discipline them, Coach them. And here's the thing. Be an example to them. Rick, give them grace to grow like God gives us. So that is such a big thing. Don't exasperate. Don't provoke your children to anger if you're a father by being so hard on them. Now, in our society, Jonathan, it's almost gone the opposite way. And I would submit to you that we as parents exasperate our children by being so easy on them, we don't teach them anything about succeeding in life. Mm. And we're going to be touching on that next week with uh, our, our, our broadcast on, on transgenderism. The, the title of uh, next week's podcast is, is My Gender, Your Business. Very serious, clear, honest, and kind discussion on what transgenderism is and scripturally how we should be uh, looking at it and dealing with it and responding and so forth and so on. So we'd love for you to join us for that very important conversation. So the provoking principle from this of not exasperating, not beating down, not bearing down so hard that all they can do is get angry because, you know, when you bear down on somebody that hard, Jonathan, they don't have a chance to succeed. And nobody does well when there's no chance. So what's the provoking principle here? Well, Rick, pushing, prodding, and poking done with love, wisdom, and godliness produces children with a life experience of being challenged. Failure as a stepping stone and an inherent ability to cope. So it's okay to push, to prod, and to poke as long as it's done with love. And when I poke, I'm not talking about physical poking. Understand, I'm not talking about physical prodding, you know, or anything like that. But we're talking about moving them along and, 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 and giving them something to, to move towards. And, and Challenging, yes. challenging their growth. Right, right. Done with love, done with wisdom, done with godliness. And what you do is you produce a child that, that learns and a child that can learn how to fail and be okay with it. Because you, as dad, are there and say, okay, it didn't go well. What did we learn? What can we do? How can we do better next time? Let's get up. Let's brush off. Let's go together. 
You know, that's what a dad is supposed to be, not provoking them or exasperating them to anger. So we want... Isn't our goal to have our children be independent and and strong yes. as they become adults? You know, that our goal is to train them up so that they can do what they need to do uh, to live a wholesome, uh, good life. Right, exactly. And we can mess it up pretty easily, especially in our society. So provoke your children to love and good works. That's really the lesson here. The next provoking example is provoking for good. You know, in this example, it says don't exasperate your children uh, as fathers, but this next use of the word is that word used for good. Paul's focusing on Christians helping Christians. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 through 7, and we're just going to do 1 and 2 right now. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So your zeal has stimulated most of them. So now he's talking to the Corinthians, and remember in the book of First Corinthians how the, the Corinthian church was really kind of messed up? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of First Corinthians was, you got to get this right, you really got to fix that, and what are you thinking here? <laughs> it was a very worldly city, yeah. and so you had to get them back in line with righteousness and proper living. So in this example, he's talking about them contributing to the well-being of other Christians in other places that are very destitute. And he's saying, you have made a great example by being so incredibly generous. And your generosity, I talked to the brethren, to the church in Macedonia about them, and your zeal has stirred them up, has provoked them, has stimulated them, because you are so generous that they're like, whoa, look what they did. Maybe we can do that too. So it's interesting because what the Corinthians did, they didn't do to provoke someone else, but the effect was a positive provoking because it was such a good thing to do. So it's another great lesson in provoking that our provoking can come even when, good provoking can come even when we don't expect it because it can be an example for others to follow. So here's a question though. You know, Paul's positively provoking those who are positively provoking others. Is he playing on their egos? You know, is he like saying, you know, I'm just telling them about how great you are. And I mean, is he after something here? Let, let's, let, let's see. Let's go through the next few verses. Verses three and four. We're in 2 Corinthians 9. But I have set the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So it kind of looks like Paul is trying to like set them up in a way. It looks like it because he said, you know, I sent a... a brethren to uh, make sure that all the things, good things I said about you aren't going to be in vain. In other words, we still need help, and you are kind of like the best at helping, so I sent these brethren. This is what it looks like, okay? So I sent these brethren because, man, you've done so good in the past, and I don't want to be disappointed, you know? So it, you, you, can, you can look at this and get the feeling that Paul is like setting them up. He's sort of stroking their ego and saying, oh, what a good job you've done. Is that what he's doing here? Could he be prodding them to act in a certain way by exerting peer pressure? Is this positive provoking if that's what he's doing? See, that's an interesting question. 
So we're going to need to get uh, a couple more verses down to kind of figure this out. Let's go to verse 5. Uh, yeah, just verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they will go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So he's saying that I've sent these brethren ahead uh, to just arrange because you've already made a commitment. And, and apparently whatever it was, they said, you know, brother, we can do this much for those who are in need. And so he's saying, I'm just going to... So I, Jonathan, he's not... I don't think he's setting them up. I don't think he's playing their egos whatsoever. I think he's saying, you guys have done incredible things spiritually. You've made an incredible commitment. I'm sending brethren to collect on that because I know that you're going to keep your word. And I am so, I am so blessed to be able to share with others the, 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 the grace of your giving. See, to me, that's what he's saying. He, it's not about ego. It's, in our world, it would be about ego. But see, we're not the Apostle Paul. He is about spirituality and about, and about focusing on and, and building up the goodness and the righteousness and the sacrifice of one to another. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful lesson here. In our world, ulterior motive is always the question. Yes. What are they getting out of it? Right, right, right. And, and, and you know, and Paul is simply saying, you have been an example of Christ-likeness. And I don't know about you, but, you know, if the Apostle Paul said something like that to me, that would last me for a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's very encouraging. It is. That's the thing. It's so encouraging. It's provoking to love and good works. So he's, he's praising their, their actions, their present promise of action, and the godly attitude that fueled both as their generosity became contagious to others. And isn't that what provoking is all about? Positive provoking is about being contagious to those around us so that others around us get involved in the same action with the same kind of enthusiasm and, oh, I want to do that too, because there's a purity in positive provoking that spiritually minded. Uh, verses 6 and 7 of 2 Corinthians 9. Now this I say, who, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, the apostle is reiterating the idea that it's not about ego, it's about what you've purposed in your heart. And he's focusing on the idea that it's got to really come from the genuineness of your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. If we give because, you know, if I give because I saw you give and it's like, oh man, Jonathan set a high standard. What am I going to do? I really don't want to. I would rather go buy ice cream, but I got to go down that he did that. I got to do that. All right, I'll do it. That's not, that's not godly. No, that's not from the heart. No, and this provoking to love and good works is a heart-based activity. It's such a beautiful, beautiful lesson. So what's the provoking principle here from these Second Corinthians scriptures? Well, Rick, provoking and stretching others towards godly actions comes when we remind them of the good we already know to be present and vibrant in their lives. So you can positively provoke others by reminding them of what you've already seen in them and the goodness. You know, negative provoking comes when you, when you look at somebody and you point something out you don't like. Positive provoking comes when you remind them 
of the godliness and the example and the spirituality or something they said or did or wrote or sang or and, and, and you and you make that front and center. That's how we positively provoke others. So really here, a major positive provoking key is to focus on the good in those you might oppose. That's a great key, but does it always work? Is there a type of provoking to avoid that is too intense to turn to towards that which is good? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. So as with most things in this world, there is, in the scope of provoking, places that we simply should avoid going at all costs. Our frail human form can easily be angered, and in such a state, we can easily seek to pick a fight or incite others to join our unbalanced cause and show those other people what for. Because sometimes that's what happens when we provoke. We want, I'm going to show you because I just don't like what you stand for. I don't like what you think. I don't even like the look on your face. So I'm going to show you. And Jonathan, as Christians, that is absolutely one of the things that needs to be run away from with every ounce of energy that we have. Well, Rick, last time for this all-important question, what should we provoke and why? To whom should we direct it? And how should we do it? And from the last segment, what should we provoke and why? Provoke to love and good works in giving to one another. And, you know, who should we provoke? Let's make sure we provoke, you know, those around us, not provoking in a negative way like with our children. And how should we do it? With the goodness, looking at their best welfare. That's how we do positive provoking. Let's go to our final soundbite for today's podcast, How to React When You're Provoked. Uh, we started with uh, Murshida Syed. Um, remember, she was talking about children. And now here she's going to talk about a good response to when we are provoked. Hurt people, insecure people, maybe hungry people, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 um, or fear, you know, they have this sense of fear within, mm. they will want to provoke or invoke fear in others. And like I said, be kind to unkind people because they need it the most. <laughs> you know, how they react to you, how they hurt you is a reflection of their own hurt. Mm -hmm. How we react to them provoking us is a reflection of our own hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, so if somebody hurts you and they provoke you or they, they push you at the wrong buttons mm -hmm. and then you react back and you start uh, attacking back the other person, mm -hmm. you know, it's a reflection of your own hurt from the past. And, and that's a great point. If we are going to respond in like manner when we're provoked in a bad way, we're just reflecting our own hurt whether they stimulated that hurt or if it was a previous hurt that they just uncovered so we could just let it shine out again, doesn't matter. Is that the, the Christ-like way to do things? Be kind. Right. And, he, and, and I love what she said. Be kind to those who are, who are angry because, or, or unhappy or whatever it was she said because they need it the most. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they really do. And, and, you know, it just goes such, such a long way.
So, Jonathan, as we as we begin to wrap up this podcast in this segment, there two of the strongest New Testament words for provoking are the words that we're going to touch on in this particular segment. And there's a little bit of explaining to do as to how these words are made up of other words and and why they end up being uh, what we think are are, are the most um, uh, po- uh, most most powerful words for provoking. So, the first word, what does it mean? It means to stimulate alongside. That is excite to rivalry. Okay, now that is something that we haven't yet seen. We've seen excite to anger or stimulate to anger. We haven't seen excite to rivalry. When you create a rivalry, it, the only place a rivalry can ever have any good is in sports, and sometimes they get out of hand. But you know, oh, it's, yes. it's fun to watch a rivalry if it's handled well. Um, but anyway, you know, so this particular word, to excite to rivalry, comes from two different words that mean near and then to have warmth or feeling for or against. So it seems to imply that the warmth of feeling, and that's kind of like passion, shows when it's near the object of its passion. When you excite to rivalry, you know, look, I'm a New York Yankees fan. There's nothing better than going to a Yankees-Red Sox game. And, you know, you want to win and you want to win big. And I'm just telling you that's the way it is. <laughs> But it's got to stay in the right perspective. And it, once it gets out of sports, it's ugly. It's just ugly. So provoking or exciting to rivalry is that first word. And then even on a stronger level is this next word, and what does it mean? Well, Rick, it means to anger alongside, that is, enrage. So to go from stimulating alongside to angering alongside, go from exciting to rivalry to enrage. Yeah, that's pretty bad stuff. Okay. Yeah. So again, uh, this, this is the strongest kind of provoking uh, to get near, uh, to provoke or enrage, often translated anger. Okay. So that word, one of the words that it's made up of is usually translated anger. That's not a good thing. Okay. The difference between the two seems to be using anger to react when it's just translated for anger, or anger used to push somebody to react. And it's bad enough, Jonathan, to be angry. But it's worse when you use your anger to push someone else to be angry. Bad enough that we're angry ourselves. That's a whole issue that we have to deal with. But now when we use our anger to provoke somebody else to become angry, we've really, really gone down a road of sin that is really horrific before God, and we need to do a lot of work. I mean, remember not exasperating God? I'll tell you, this is a way to do it, okay? (laughs) Here's the result upon those who did the exasperating, all right? Again, when you exasperate God, the result always comes back to you. This is in Romans now. We're not in Hebrews anymore. Romans chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, but a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. So now, previously, when we talked about the example uh, that was spoken of in Hebrews, it was going back to the Exodus. It was going back to that great deliverance, and the reason they had to wander in the wilderness was because of their lack of faith and so forth and so on. This is now 
about the rejection of Jesus as a nation. And the apostle is saying to the Jewish nation, they had an opportunity. And Moses prophesied that if you do not stay faithful to God, if you exasperate God and do not stay faithful and hold fast to and encourage one another, like we were talking about in that previous segment, he says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. The first word jealous is I will, st- I will excite you to rivalry. And then it says God will anger. He will enrage you. Now, why would God enrage anybody? You got to ask that question. The problem is that he offered the spiritual call to Israel as a nation. That would have been an exclusive offering, and they rejected it. And so the call went out to the Gentiles. Now, Jonathan, Jews and Gentiles, were they like buddy-buddy? They're rivals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, in a much bigger way than on a sports field, too. Yes. Okay, a much bigger, much more dangerous way than on a sports field. And the fact that the call of Jesus was spread out to the Gentiles was a dramatic cause for jealousy amongst the Jews. What do you mean, them? They were the ones who were always unclean. They were unclean, unfit, uneducated, and, and, and unworthy. And now you're giving them favor? And there's this, there's, so God is not making them angry. He's creating a situation that they will get angry at because they've lost their opportunity. So this is important. They provoke God by rejecting his son, and they get the response of being jealous and angry themselves. I mean, you know, so it always comes back on us. Yes, it does. So, so what's the provoking principle here? Well, Rick, our provoking arrogance towards God won't hurt him, but its consequence inevitably provokes us to anger. So, you know, we can be all high and, high and mighty, all that we want to be. And we can, we can be full of ourselves and we can uh, talk to others and we can, we can, you know, we can cut people off in the middle of their sentences and we can not listen and we can just be, you know, sort of condescending. And that's unfortunately the way, the, especially the Jewish leaders were in Jesus' time. And it feels pretty good to be in that position of authority and strength and to be able to manipulate the government so that they can crucify this guy and get him out of your hair once and for all. And by doing so... They lost, and they ended up provoking themselves to anger and jealousy. So the anger and jealousy they had toward Jesus ended up coming back on themselves. And that just tells you that when we provoke negatively, and this is a place we should never go, okay? And we should never go here. When we provoke negatively, it's going to come back, and it's going to hurt you deeply, Let's not do that. It's just not, a, just not a good way to spend your time. I don't know about you, but you know, to me, this is like, you know, stay away from this, okay? Um, let's go one more example of the, uh, the, uh, the, the difficulty of provoking here, the moving to jealousy. Um, uh, in, in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 to 14. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is rich from the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, 
inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. So this is interesting. This is in the very next chapter of Romans. And we just said, this jealousy and anger that we were talking about, you never want to go there. Then the apostle in the next chapter uses it in a kind of a positive way. So we've got to figure that out. Because he says, by the transgression of Israel's fall, salvations come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is the riches for the world and their failure is the riches for the Gentiles, he gives hope. How much more will their fulfillment be? So he's saying that there's still hope and that the, 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 the feeling of being left out can actually help to draw them back in as a nation. And we know, Jonathan, that prophetically, that's exactly what has already begun to happen before our eyes. Because we know that prophetically, Israel is still God's chosen nation. That's right. And we know that they're not back in Israel by accident. They're there because of the fulfillment of prophecy, which means they're there because God overruled them getting there, which means that God has begun to bless them again, which means that all of the negativity, God is now giving them that opportunity. And watch what happens, Jonathan. I don't, like me preaching to the choir here. I mean, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, watch what happens. They will recognize God Almighty this time around in a big way. It's going to be really something to see. It's going to take a lot of difficulty, but that's what's going to happen. So that jealousy here is, is actually showing us it can, by God's providence, can become something good. And not only wake up to God Almighty, but then really understand Messiah, right. God's Son, right. and and what He did and why He did it, right. and they will just be joyous when when it all comes to to light. Provoke to love and good works, you know. To me, that's just such an exciting message. So, so again, this is generally a very negative provoking, but Paul is using it as kind of a last resort for his Jewish brethren because they're already jealous. Now, again, it's not a provoking that's on purpose by the Gentiles, but it's as a result of their being called to favor that the jealousy occurs. So they're not doing the negative thing. The negative thing is happening as a result of that person's own own, own response. So. Um, Let's finish up verse 14. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. So he's saying, you know, I want to use what the big mistake was to draw them in. You know, for us, I wouldn't go down this road of moving to jealousy, of exciting to rivalry. I'm not good enough to do that. Apostle Paul, he can do that. I'm going to leave that work to him. I'm going <laughs> to provoke the other way. Okay, the scriptures tell me the other way, the, the positive way. Let the apostle be the one to move him to jealousy. I'll watch. I'll clap. I'll cheer him on. So what's our provoking principle here? Wisdom can take that which is already over the top and attempt to redirect its passion towards that which is good. Not easy, not common, and not advisable for most. Like I said, let's leave that kind of work to the apostle Paul and let you and I focus on and work on provoke to love and good works by building up, by holding fast, by considering one another, by seeing the big picture, by making the, th the main thing the main thing. 
the last father-children example um, that we talked about in the previous segment was stimulating to anger. Or this, and this one is to anger alongside or enrage. So this one, another f- father-child example, this one's even harsher than the last one. This is in Ephesians 6, 1-4. to Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not enrage your children, but bring them up in the dis- discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this, I love this verse, Jonathan, because it's so simple in its delivery. Don't enrage them to anger, but it doesn't mean you don't discipline them. It doesn't mean you don't, you don't make them feel uh, the pain of consequences because it says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's your job. Do your job, but don't take your humanness, your broken humanness, and pile on. You know, in football, uh, you know, one, a penalty is once the guy is down, you don't pile on. Because right. that's where damage happens. That's where injury happens. Because the play is over. And when people pile on, I mean, that's a pretty serious penalty. That's what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about us, in a human sense, piling on where we really shouldn't, and it shouldn't be part of things. So what's our final provoking principle before we close this out? Well, Rick, there is never any excuse to provoke your children with anything but godliness and goodness. Okay. Never an excuse to allow your emotions to override the principles of godly righteousness, discipline, and instruction. If you think you've got a better way, it's simple. You're wrong, okay? Don't do it. Don't go there. That's not the way it ought to be. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this up and we look at provoking, we realize that we've got the power to provoke in a very good, very positive way, and that's unusual. Let's set a standard of provoking to love and good works show others how it's done, and let them see it, feel it, experience it, grow by it, and then learn to give it to others. You can change things by provoking to love and good works. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed meeting with us today. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you about a really important subject. I want to remind you next week, we're talking about transgenderism. Is my gender your business? Don't forget to join us. So for now, provoking. Do it the right way, a blessed way. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from your listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to download our app.